This is Chris McGregor. The work of Discerning Hearts could not continue without your prayers and support. Between now and December 31st, please consider making a year-end tax-deductible gift. Click Donate at either DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue our podcast for those on the discerning journey. Thank you and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. DiscerningHearts.com in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. Pope Francis, in his encyclical letter, Lumen Fidei, The Light of Faith, said that faith past, the act of Jesus' love which brought new life to the world, comes down to us through the memory of others, witnesses, and is kept alive in that one remembering subject which is the Church. The Church is a mother who teaches us to speak the language of faith. In that spirit, this series of conversations with Archbishop Lucas brings the many aspects of the Catholic faith and why it matters, not only to the individual, but also to families, communities, and the world at large. Why it matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Archbishop Lucas. Thank you, Chris. I have really grown to love our conversations on the Kerygma. It's given me a whole new paradigm in which to look at my own actions and how I announce the good news, how I share it. It's an important paradigm for us Christians, isn't it? Uh Yeah, well, that's good to hear. Because I think, yeah, that's exactly what it uh, can do for us as a kind of a framework that helps us approach our own reading of the scriptures, but hearing them proclaimed at the liturgy, and then our own understanding of where we fit into the the church's mission to uh, live and and preach the gospel to others. Right after Easter, we begin to hear the stories of the apostles and their experience of the risen Christ and their reception of the Holy Spirit in a very real way. For many of us who have been those Catholics, for example, who have been going to Mass, we forget sometimes that we've encountered that same Spirit that they did on that day. That's kind of an important awareness for us, isn't it? Yes, it is. You know, what we um, what we see right away in these scriptures that you're to which you're referring is that there was a real experience of the coming of the Spirit and that it took them over totally. It wasn't simply an intellectual awareness that, oh, there is a Holy Spirit, but we're not what the Holy Spirit is, is acting. They really were moved by the coming of, of the Holy Spirit, Spirit moved to, to the action that Jesus had given to them to do, uh, to be witnesses to the gospel, to the ends of the earth. They didn't necessarily know where the ends of the earth were, but they wanted to get started. And they did. You know, they weren't waiting for, for anything else. You describe it beautifully. You know, after the after we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, he he appears. Uh, we read in the Gospels to his disciples, so that they they have again the experience of him risen from the dead. They're convinced beyond a doubt that this is real. That Jesus is not dead, and that he's alive. And then they witness his ascension to the right hand of the Father. The question then is, well, okay, now what? Or what difference does all that make? Was that you know a great experience for those? relatively few in number who got to witness it. There were several hundreds, of course, who saw Jesus after the resurrection, but in the sweep of human history, it's kind of a small number. So was that just a great thing for them? Or does this open out somehow 
into a larger experience in, in human life in, in human history? And the answer is it's the latter. That it, that's God's plan. And so the the coming of the Holy Spirit makes that possible. Gives the energy, the direction for that in uh, in the infant church. And the the apostles, the other disciples, experienced that very profoundly. And as I said, they got to work right away to witness what they knew to be true. I, I, I doubt they saw it as work. They were so filled with joy and amazement and faith, uh, having witnessed both the, the death and the resurrection of, of Jesus, that they couldn't really keep it to themselves. Archbishop, it's a powerful scripture that we hear. Here's a fisherman, Peter, who was very timid, who hid, who had so many opportunities to proclaim, but yet he didn't. Now, after this event of Pentecost, wow, look at what he's doing. That Holy Spirit's amazing. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit was at work. And Peter, in his proclamation and in the, in the crowds who, who, who heard him, and everyone was kind of amazed that they could not only hear him, but understand it. It's beautiful to imagine the um, apostles gathered with the Blessed Mother in the upper room after the, the ascension of, of Jesus, they all were aware of this commission they had received from the Lord, and I think really desired to, to fulfill it. But as you said, Peter and the others were ordinary people. They weren't educated, and they weren't influential in, in a worldly way. They had seen what had happened to Jesus, his crucifixion, and even though they were convinced that he was then alive, they didn't particularly want to be arrested or, or tortured for, for, for preaching a, about him. But they were also aware of the promise of Jesus. He had promised to give them the Holy Spirit. I doubt they were well acquainted with the Holy Spirit. I don't know exactly what they what they knew or what they were aware of. But they had confidence in Jesus. And I'm sure they believe if he tells us that we're, the Holy Spirit will give us what we need. So they were praying in the upper room, presumably praying that they would receive this gift that Jesus had promised. And then on Pentecost, the, the Holy Spirit came upon them with great power, was unmistakable, something was different. They again experienced it. It wasn't just like a light bulb went on, but but they could feel. The scriptures describe a you know physical manifestation of the coming of the Spirit. And then the first thing they did, I think, probably with Peter leading, was they went out the door and they began to share what they knew to be true about Jesus Christ, about this this unique person, this unique saving event of, of Jesus of his death and resurrection. The beautiful. Consequence of that was that people believed them. The Holy Spirit was was at work. The Holy Spirit was at work in their preaching and their witness, and the Holy Spirit was at work in the in the hearts and in the minds of, of people who believed. At that moment, it was a, a real coming together for them, in so many ways. That connection to what they had heard in Scripture, the prophets, and that's what immediately he reflects on the prophet Joel and saying. These are the days. This is the time now. And most of his hearers uh, would have been Jews from they were come from a number of different places, but would have been steeped in this in the same tradition. And it was a beautiful way of describing how this uh, coming of Jesus, his death and resurrection. This it's a unique event in all of human history, but it didn't just sort of happen. Uh, this mm-hmm. is the plan of God for us. And over generations, it was revealed in a, in various ways and in kind of obscurity. God, of course, had chosen a people and revealed his loving plan to them. As the scripture says, in fragmentary ways, God understood it all, but the, but people received it without knowing the fullness of it. But that was all setting the stage in God's providence for the coming of the Savior and, and for his preaching, his, his miracles, his life, his death, and, and his resurrection. It's interesting, you know, as um, 
we listened to Peter's sermon on Pentecost, he, he was really very direct with the people. You know, this was the Savior that was promised. This is this is God's great gift to you, and and you use these pagan Romans to kill him. Then he's able to say, "But don't worry, he's not dead now. He's alive." You know, through the the power of God, through the uh, His nature as as the Son of God, Jesus has has conquered death. Though it reminds us, you know, it's an important part of the proclamation of the gospel that announcing good news, but not simply announcing happy times. That we are sinners and the, we're burdened by the effects of, of original sin, our own sins, though too, and we've we've burdened other people with with our sinful choices and the collective sins of, of humanity are, are very much present at the time of the crucifixion, even though you, people couldn't see it at the time. But as Peter told his hearers on Pentecost, he tells us, you're involved in this, both in the death of Jesus, but also now can be involved in the power of his resurrection and, and in the peace that, that comes from that power. It really stands out in the way you describe the archbishop that he has a very strong message, but it's laced with compassion. It's like when you said, don't worry, he's still here. And I think that's what important for us, isn't it? And when we are the experience of Peter, as we begin to engage with others, when we begin to share, don't be afraid, speak what you know, but then also say it with that word of hope and compassion. Mm-hmm. Because we won't desire a relationship with the Savior if we don't think we need one. It is important in the preaching and in the hearing of, of, of the charisma that, that we have this clear sense that you know, we've made a mess of things. And, you know, if we're left to our own devices, there's not much hope and there's really not a, much of a future for us beyond what we can what we can see right here. But God's plan was always that we would have life and, and the fullness of life that's blocked because of, of sin. But Jesus has blown the block, blockage away through the power of his, of his death and resurrection. But we are sinners, and that's also a part of the of the charisma. Again, we're not to, we don't want to just beat other people up with it, and it's not the way we introduce a conversation about our faith by calling someone else a sinner, but we begin to share our common experience of the burden of, of guilt, the, the consequences of our sinful choices or the effects that others choices, other people's choices have had on us so that we kind of see our starting point. It's not a good place to be, but God looks on us with compassion and, and then gives us the, a gift beyond our imagining. Again, he goes back to the prophets. He brings forward David, the great psalmist, who, who taught them how to pray. And it's almost as though he's surprised and filled with joy because the hope that they had heard about so often, it's been fulfilled. It's here with us now. An important uh, part of the work of the prophets was to try to get people to sort of turn around right again, you know, and to, to face towards God and, and to understand the plan of God, the power of God, the righteousness of God, when often they had stumbled, taken up with false gods, or just become immersed in their own, in their own self-reflection or, or self-possession, you might, you might say. Again, the reference to the prophets would be powerful ones for, the, for those who were hearing Peter on the Feast of, uh, of Pentecost. And it was a, an invitation to them to realize that, you know, the, again, the prophets were saying more than even they knew they were saying through God's inspiration of, about the, the, the plan of God for the salvation of his people, which soon will be understood as the, as the whole human family, not simply the, uh, the Jewish people. Again, I keep going back to what you've spoken to us, and we need to be reminded that the centrality of Jesus within the church, you can't just proclaim the church and not 
its head. I mean, this is the reason for our hope. Yes, and, and I don't think, you know, consciously we don't try to do to do that, to leave Jesus out. But as we're offering the kerygma to, to those around us, we have to try to put ourselves in their shoes and understand what, you know, when they look at the church or when they look at us Catholics, what do they think or what's been their, their experience? And it's a variety of things. But as I said earlier, I, I'm afraid too often because we have been so strong and well-organized institutionally that we come across more as an institution than, a, than the living body of Christ, who, who we are. And so the, the, the centrality of the person of Jesus, of course, central in, in um, the history of salvation. Uh, he's the head of the, the church, head of, the, of, of, his, of his living body. Because he's a person and because he loves us so personally and we can experience that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's really the place where we should start, uh, reacquainting ourselves and then also acquainting uh, our neighbors with the, the message of, of, of good, the good news of salvation. Again, it, he's out there. He's proclaiming. He's just gone out. So many are listening to him. And here he is pulling from the scriptures, especially in that portion where he's speaking about David, the connections he's making it's exactly what they needed to hear. He trusted that it was coming from that experience. And not necessarily he sat down and wrote a long dissertation before he, he went out. Yeah, I doubt he wrote it out. The beliefs of the people to whom he was speaking would have been familiar to him. Mm-hmm. But they were, the scriptures say they spoke different languages. So it was wouldn't have been so clear to him how they were going to be able to comprehend what he was saying. The Holy Spirit took care of that. However, that connection was made, the people heard what they needed to hear. They, they heard what, what was being preached, even though it seemed impossible for them to, to be, be able to hear it in, in a way that, uh, that they could understand. I'm with you. I doubt Peter sat down and, and wrote out this, you know, this Pentecost homily. We can presume he was a prayerful man and acquainted with the scriptures. And he himself, having been a witness to the crucifixion and the resurrection, began to see the things that Jesus had, had tried to point out to them in a variety of ways to his disciples, but began to see the plan of God at work all through the ages, coming to its fulfillment now in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And what we now call the Old Testament, there's a lot of hope, there's a lot of looking forward to the fulfillment of the plan of, of God for his people. And, and Peter says, that, you know what you've been looking forward to? This is it. This kind of mysterious one that the prophets were, were referring to, Jesus is, is this one. He will say, God raised this Jesus. Of this we are all witnesses. Exalted at the right hand of God, he received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father and poured it out as you both see and hear. That is that major statement, God raised him. Because if it wasn't for the resurrection, what's the point? If he was just a good philosopher or he had a lot lot of nice lines that we quote today that make us feel good, what's the point? We could um, offer a a one-question quiz about our faith, and I would suggest that the question would be, what's the most important thing we know to be true in our Christian faith? I think the answer is that Jesus is alive. If that's not true, then the, the whole rest of it falls apart, but it is true. And then, as I think that's Peter saying it in a different way, but, but that's what he's pointing out. Because uh, Jesus is alive, it, we can put our faith in him. Uh, we can, we, you said, you know, he's, he said these nice things that we can trust, but we can trust them, and we really believe what he said, that they're more than nice things, that they're true, because he's risen from the dead. 
and he has shown himself that that way to be the son of God. And then because he's the son of God, he, he deserves our, not only our respect, but our worship. He uh, deserves our trust, our, our, our belief, not only in that we believe that what he says is true, but we believe in him. We, we believe he is the, is the son of God. So it's a bold proclamation, you know, it's sort of putting the, the heart of the matter right out there at, at the beginning. I think it would have been startling to many of the of Peter's uh, listeners uh, that day, but but again the Holy Spirit was, was at work, so they were able to hear the truth, and receive it and and accept it. We'll return to why it matters: an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas in just a moment. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. The powerful statement that comes right after that, God raised this Jesus, of this we are all witnesses. You can imagine his arm going out and over his companions, and they're making a statement that we have experienced him. That's what we're called to do. Can we say that we have? I look back in my life, and at this point, after many decades, yes, I know that he's alive. I know he is active, and he loves us, and he's engaged. What if we're not sure? What if we, we say we, we can't be that witness? I really don't know. Well, then you're not quite ready to do it. I, I say, you know, we don't want uncertain trumpets. We don't want somebody to, to stand up and say, I, you know, I'm not really sure if, who Jesus is. That's not evangelization. But... What you were saying earlier, for many of us, we have had an encounter with the living Lord in a variety of ways. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit makes that uh, relationship possible and gives us the confidence that it's really true. It's not just our imagination. And again, we're not just imagining Jesus. We're not thinking about him from a long time ago, you know, things that he did then. But, but we encounter him today in a variety of ways. He comes to us personally, but also in the and surely in our experience in the church, particularly in the in the sacraments, so we we have had that that experience, and and we're uh, in our prayer we can look back, well, most of us, and maybe we see now what we didn't see at the moment. The Lord was with us in a in a relationship, in a, a difficult situation, in a time of fear that we didn't think we'd ever get through, but we got through, and 
and came through maybe better than, than, than we were before. And we recognize that it's, as the uh, apostles did after the resurrection, we recognize it's the Lord. <laughs> it's the risen Lord who's revealing himself to me through the power of the Holy Spirit so, I, so that I can be a credible witness, not simply a good teacher, which is also important, to be able to take the truths of our faith or the, what's recounted in Scripture and, and to teach that to people, but also witness, witness to, to the, the power of it myself. I would say witness to the experience of it because it's, it's more than an, than an intellectual exercise that we don't leave the intellect out of it. It also does make sense, but it, it involves us, the, the whole person, in these, over time, these encounters with, with, with the Lord and the Holy Spirit acting in, in those moments and in our reflection uh, make us confident that, yes, th- this is really true. And, and I don't mind telling somebody what I've experienced. As you mentioned earlier, I mean, they were prayerfully waiting. They were in prayer. They had gathered. They were open. They were waiting. We, too, have to do that, don't mm. we? Right. I think that this Pentecost event is a, uh, sets a great pattern for, for us in the church. It was a, a unique day, you know, the, the, the beginning of the church. But just as you say, they, they didn't attempt anything without prayer. And they felt inadequate, I'm sure. And, again, they, were, they knew they had encountered Jesus alive, risen from the dead, they were convinced of that, but would anybody believe them? And how were they supposed to present that? They wanted to tell about it, and of course they had the commission from Jesus that they should. So there was all kind of motivation to, to do something that, that they weren't sure how they were supposed to do, so, so they prayed. So that's where, where, where we should start. I hope we do, if we have the desire to share our faith with, with someone else, whether they're inviting something from us by questions or whether we're looking for an opportunity because we care about them and have something important we want to share with them, we need to be in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to help us see when is the right time to say something, to give us the words, and then to be with us in, in that moment, to be, to be in my speaking, to be in the other person's listening. And then we need to count on that, uh, count on the the presence and, and, and the action of, of the Holy Spirit. But then, like the, the, those uh, first disciples, w- we really need to step out. We need to go outside of, out the door. We need to go outside of ourselves. It, it takes some courage, and we're not necessarily sh- sure how it's going to turn out. But as these uh, first preachers of the gospel experienced, if we proclaim the gospel from a place of integrity, and we're not perfect, but from a place of integrity in terms of experience, having experienced the presence of the Lord, having experienced his mercy, we should expect that people will believe. Now, on that day, not everybody believed, and that not everybody's going to believe today. And maybe some people who heard that went home and prayed about it, and then maybe they believed a week or two later. Or maybe something else happened that tipped the balance for them towards belief. So there's all kinds of things that, that, you know, that we don't know in, in the particulars. We want to share our knowledge and love of Jesus with, with confidence, with the confidence that this is good. It's good news. It's good for me. If someone else hears this and thinks about it, it's not going to hurt them at all. It will not be bad for anybody. Maybe they can believe it. Maybe they can't, but it won't be bad for them. So we're not inflicting something on, on someone or imposing something. We're offering it uh, as a gift. But we offer it in confidence that if they, if they don't hear it, St. Paul tells us faith comes through hearing. You know, if people don't hear the, the, the message of the gospel, if no one evangelizes them, how will they? They're not just going to trip over it. They won't have the chance to, to believe. It's telling that when they came out of that upper room, they didn't know what they were going to experience. They didn't know what 
might occur. They didn't overthink it. Thinking and preparing and being prudent, I mean, those are all important Mm -hmm. things. But on the other hand, sometimes don't we overthink it a little bit? What will they think? What will they say if I share my faith? Yeah, and and I think that's the the voice of, a, of the evil one, you know, trying to l- help us focus on our inadequacies and, and our limitations and, and so forth. So the, you know, the, when Peter got up to preach, he was as big a sinner as anybody else he was talking to. So if he would just listen to the devil and say, well, you, you know, who are you to say anything? Are you denied Jesus? That's why prayer is, is so important because in prayer, then we, we listen to, to the Lord, tell us what he wants us to hear and to, to tell us the truth about himself. We're reminded again of his love, of his power, of his commitment, uh, promise to be with us in the church. And so it, it's more praying than thinking. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the, the overthinking, we kind of get stuck in the mud, which is where, again, where the evil one would love us to be, just stuck. But uh, the Holy Spirit moves us up and out. And if we cooperate with, with that grace, like, uh, like Peter, we'll, we just have to see what happens. As you said, he didn't really know how he would be received, how people would react, what he maybe not even sure what would, was going to come out of his mouth, except it was going to, he was going to say the truth. But that's how the gospel spreads. Re- rely on our own confidence in the, the love of Jesus and in his presence with us. How uh, I think most of us would like to be able to say he, our relationship with him is, has changed everything for us. So to, to be able to share that in confidence, relying on the Holy Spirit, then we see what happens. Then Because once it's out there, it's really out of our, out of our control. And we don't need to control it. There's a power there. There's a truth there that people will, will, will receive. Maybe they'll jump up right then and there, like someone did on Pentecost and asked to be baptized. And maybe they'll take it to prayer themselves and, or maybe try to push it away. But we can trust a seed has been at least thrown in their direction, and we can hope that it, can, that it might take root. And if, if we don't see the, the blossoming of it that day, maybe, maybe we'll never see it, but, but maybe we will sometime later. Yeah, it's interesting when you say that because in reality then, we're not sowing the seed he is. We're cooperating. We're through him, with him, and in him. But all he's asking you to do is just announce it. Just let them know, and then you've done your task. Right, yeah, we're not announcing anything about our, about ourselves. We, we're, we're in it. But, but it's part of the paradox. It's beautiful that the way that, that Jesus has designed for the the light of the gospel to spread is by using people like you and me. He invites us first to meet him, uh, like he did with the first disciples, to encounter him, to have a relationship with him, and then he sends us out. He has all kinds of other ways to make this happen, and we should always expect divine intervention, you know, that that we we put ourselves into it as much as we can, but then there's this this powerful divine ingredient, you know, this part of the mix that, uh, that we can't calculate. But he does rely on us. And, you know, if for the people around us, you know, if they don't hear or see, witness somehow our relationship with Jesus and our love for him, I don't, where, where are they going to see it? Neither you are, nor I are invited to save the whole world. But here we are in a certain time and place with a certain set of relationships. Are we, gonna, are we to have no effect there? Or, or is Jesus counting on us to be his witnesses? Yeah, it would be amazing one day, long from now, to know exactly how many things occurred just because of that one conversation mm-hmm. or that one witness. Somehow, you and I have heard the gospel in our lifetimes, you know, in the 20th and 21st centuries now. We didn't just pick it up off the ground. You know, the, the um, think of how many 
people had to witness to somebody else, to somebody else, to somebody else over all these miles, over all these generations, since this sermon of, of Peter on Pentecost. So sometimes they knew exactly what they were doing. Parents teaching their children or friends witnessing to, to friends or spouses uh, to each other. But we have to imagine that some of it was happening without people being exactly conscious. Maybe someone was watching them or was on the receiving end of mercy or kindness from, from, from someone at the, that's, that warmed their heart to, you know, to be open to the, to the gospel. The person that affected them maybe never, never was aware of it. But it, it's a crass way of putting it, but it, it, it works. The, the witness is powerful. So, you know, over all these years, it hasn't just been written in the sky. It's been written on the hearts of people who shared it one, one person to the next, one generation to the next. It's not supposed to stop with us. Always being ready to share the good news, the hope that, that is ours, so we do it consciously when we can. But uh, at the same time, other people are watching. They know you're a Catholic, a follower of Jesus Christ, and, and they watch and listen to see if there's anything to that. You know, if that's any different from being a member of the Elks Club or some other group who wants to do some good. So there's the, the active witness, but there's also the, the passive witness that people are picking up on. And that's working, you know, or, or it's not working if we're, if we're kind of, if we keep it all, all bottled up. But it, it does work. It, it is effective. The Holy Spirit makes it effective. But the world we live in now is noisy and it's, it's crass in so many ways. And we need more explicit witness, I would maintain which is the reason why we're talking about the kerygma and, and, and why the Holy Fathers uh, recently, recent generations have been urging us to, to uh, become a more evangelizing church. And again, to be steeped in the Holy Spirit can be done for the Catholic going to Mass, going to daily Mass. Just sit and listen to the scriptures and receive them in the Eucharist. Or if you're at home, if for whatever reason can't make it to church that day or this day, open up the scriptures and allow the sacred word, because that's what scriptures are, it's the sacred scriptures, to sit with it, pray with it, like Peter, and who knows, right? Yes, Jesus is offering us a relationship with him right now. Why wouldn't we take that? Why wouldn't we want it? But we have to take it. And so we, he, he's ready to meet us in any number of settings. Uh, and if we avoid those those places, those opportunities, then you know our own own relationship with him is not as vibrant as it could be from our because of, of our own neglect, you know, not because of that he's neglecting us. And then we can't possibly imagine we'll be effective evangelizers or be effective witnesses to the presence of Jesus in the in the world, his care for for others, uh, if we're not allowing this relationship with him to be cultivated. And he does the heavy lifting. But we have to be we have to be there. We have to be open to it. So that's that's the that's why he's given us the church. Uh, we're, we're, if we had to do this just on our own, I think we would just have to say, well, good luck. Maybe maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. But it's not just good luck. The, the Lord's established the church, so we have this community of disciples. Uh, uh, and again, it's not a human uh, humanly constituted community. It's, he's founded the church. It's his living body, his mystical body. He's he's the head. We're we're part of that, and, and in the church, we find all these opportunities to continue to grow and to have have our own faith in the person of Jesus and the power of his life, death, and resurrection, to have that renewed. Because um, the world is always distracting us from that, and the evil one is trying to kind of chip away at our at our faith there, even though we might not ever stand up and deny it, but just sort of dulls the the sense of, of its of its central importance um, for us. 
That's the the beauty of witnessing to Jesus is that ultimately, especially for the Catholic, the fullest experience of him ultimately will lead those, we believe, through the doors into the church. And when I mean the doors, I mean more of the arms of the church because there you can experience me. He actually touches you. He actually feeds you the fullest experience of that risen Lord. We think that's the Lord's desire, and, and that should be ours too. But even though it might be in the back of our minds to hope that we're creating a path forward with people so that they might come into the, the fullest experience we can have in this world of, of the Lord, which would be in the sacraments, particularly the, the, the Eucharist. He's not asking us to, to make that an exclusive club who's, who's able to participate in that, but, but sends us out at the end of every Mass uh, to announce his presence to others, and, and we hope bring some people back with us. Well, any final thoughts on this particular conversation, especially given that incredible passage of Peter's proclamation, that great witness. We've just heard it, but I would encourage listeners to pick up their Bible and and go to the second chapter of Acts and read it prayerfully uh, again. And as I suggest, see in this a pattern for our own life and and witness. Peter was very explicit, and I think that's what um, we're invited to more and more these these days. As I said, uh, the there's so many distractions in our world, and, and for, whether we're old or young, but especially, I think, younger people, so many, there's so many voices that, that are vying for their attention about all kinds of things. A lot of it is really not true and not good for them or, or anybody else. And so to be able, in a very clear way, to, to hear this central, eternal truth, this saving truth, uh, uh, will come as a gift. And uh, as Peter experienced, if, if we do that, others will believe. Amen to that. Thank you so much, Archbishop Lucas. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas.